Well, good morning, guys. I'm uh, glad you're here this morning. And uh, did you uh, enjoy the beginning this morning with uh, Mike doing, I don't know, it's not really quite a rap, is it? But whatever that was, you did a great job with that. And uh, Rick's song, some of you are looking like, what was that all about? Did you know we start at 930? We do. Yeah. Just saying. We do. So. Well, uh, today we are uh, wrapping up our There's an App for That series. And uh, I hope you have been uh, challenged by this series in the way that I have. Uh, it has uh, kind of rocked my world every week as I have uh, studied and prepared. And I hope it's challenged you in the same way. Uh, you know, it's a, early on in the series, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about some of the crazy apps that you can buy for your smartphone these days. And I was thinking this week, you know, after all the stuff we've talked about, I kind of wish there was an app for my life that would just make all the things we've talked about, you know, just kind of happen like that. But it doesn't quite work that way, does it? As we have uh, kind of explored the Sermon on the Mount and listened in as Jesus taught what his followers are supposed to look like, we uh, have discovered things like uh, kind of rewrote what it means to uh, pursue happiness in our lives. Uh, We've talked about how vital prayer is. We've discovered how to control our anger or how to work on that at least. We've talked about how we're supposed to treat our enemies. Uh, We've talked about dealing with lust in our lives. And uh, lastly, we talked about how not to worry, uh, which for a lot of us, that's a tough one, isn't it? And, uh, you know, here's how it works in my life. Lots of times I teach about things and then God sort of challenges me in the week that follows. And I've had one of those weeks, you know, where... uh, did you really mean that, Jeff? You're going to try not to worry in your life? How many of you have been part of a There's an App Life group during our series? Yeah, quite a few of you. And I hope that's been uh, really enjoyable for you. We kind of wrap that up, uh, at least this part of it this week. I want to encourage you, though, uh, for your life group to keep on meeting. Uh, don't stop. Um, it is so important for us in life to be connected to a group of people that we can do life together with. And I just want that for you so badly. And so I encourage you just to continue on being part uh, of a group. Dan did a great job with those videos, didn't he? I really thought, yeah. In fact, I just want to say thank you to our whole staff because they have uh, worked incredibly hard uh, for this series and everything we've done over the last eight weeks, and I just appreciate their uh, teamwork so much. They are an incredible group of people to serve alongside, and I love them dearly, and I, I thank them for all they've done. Well, today I want to kind of wrap this up uh, by talking about judging and what Jesus has to say. Now, uh, how many of you uh, grew up as kids going to church pretty regularly? Wow, that's even more than I would have thought. A lot of us, okay? And, and here's uh, kind of what happens sometimes when we grow up early in the church or when we're in the church for a long period of time, we can tend to become kind of judgmental. I mean, in fact, that's, that's one of the things that people who don't go to church often say about us as Christ followers. They're so judgmental. I don't want to be part of that. And here's kind of how I think that happens. I think especially if we kind of grew up in the church, uh, if you grew up in the church around the time I did, it seemed like so much of it was about a bunch of rules, you know? And among all of those rules, there were three or four rules that maybe you really struggled to keep in your life. And, and there were probably dozens of other rules that other people struggled with. But rather than focusing on the three or four that you were struggling with, you were always focusing on the dozen rules that everybody else was breaking. You know, well, look at them. And, and what about them? And hey, look what they're doing. And before long, this sort of judgmental attitude grows up inside of us. Now, there's a flip side to that. Because the flip side of that is we we do look around. And we sort of see other people and we see stuff going on in their lives and we think, well, well, that's wrong. 
Shouldn't somebody say something to them? Shouldn't somebody address that in their life? But in the back of our minds, we, we have this thing, a lot of us, that says, I think it says in the Bible somewhere, do not judge. And so what's the truth? Am I, is it wrong to judge? Should I say things to people who are struggling in their life? Well, what's the balance there? Well, Jesus, I think, addresses this, and He makes it clear for us, His followers, how we're supposed to handle this whole thing of judging. And uh, you may discover today that maybe we've looked at this a little wrong at times. Or maybe you'll discover, hey, I've got this all right. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 7. We've been working through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I hope you brought your Bibles today. You're going to want to follow along. We're only going to skim the surface of some of this. And so uh, there's some passages we're going to look at that you're going to want to mark. And then you're going to want to go home and kind of look at them again so you can really uh, figure this out uh, in your life. So Matthew chapter uh, 7. We're going to start right in on verse 1. Here we go. Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge. There it is, right? Some of you are going, I knew that was in there. I knew somewhere I heard that. Do not judge, right? That's it. Well, that's that's not it. Jesus goes on to, to say a lot more. If there were a period there and a paragraph break and Jesus changed subjects, then we could say, yeah, that's the whole message right there. Jesus said it. Do not judge. But He doesn't stop there. He goes on to say some other things. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Jesus says, just understand, when you judge, you're going to be judged. Now, by who? Well, he doesn't really say, does he? By God? Maybe. By other people? Probably. But he doesn't really say who's going to do the judging. He just says, understand, if you judge, you're probably going to be judged. Then he goes on to say this in verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now here's what Jesus is saying. Don't judge unless you go into it with this understanding. Don't judge unless you go into it understanding that the way you judge other people is the way that you're going to be judged. Now, his point is not that we should never have an opinion about someone else. His uh, point is not that we won't see stuff in other people's lives and shouldn't address it. No, his point simply, Jesus very subtly saying that you need to apply the golden rule to judgment. He's saying the way you want to be judged, that's how you need to judge other people. The way you want God to judge you, that's how you need to judge other people. Now, You know what? I know how I want to be judged. Don't you? I know exactly how I want to be judged. I want to make sure that if somebody's going to judge me, they get the whole picture. They understand everything about my life. I want them to understand. I want them to understand that I was under a lot of stress when I made that choice. I want them to understand what that fourth grade teacher said to me and how that warped my life from that point on. I want them to understand I grew up as a pastor's kid and that messes with you a little bit. I want them to understand that it was tough in high school. I was worried about what other people thought of me. And so, yeah, I I hung out with some people that I shouldn't have hung out with. And you know what? Those people, they said things they shouldn't have said. And so I started doing that. I want them to understand everything about my life. Don't you? I mean, I I think if I talk long enough, (laughs) Jesus would kind of come alongside me and kind of put His arm around me and say, boy, it is tough. 
boy, you know, you have had it rough. It's no wonder you turned out to be such an idiot. And I, I'm really, I'm really sorry. It's a wonder you're as good as you are. Welcome into my kingdom, you poor thing. We want people to cut us some slack, don't we? And Jesus says, that's all right. Because God already knows everything about your life. But you judge people, other people, in the same way that you want to be judged. He goes on to make it even more clear in verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now Jesus goes back to his woodshop days with his carpenter father probably and draws this analogy and I think he intended to almost overstate the ridiculous here. You know, a speck of sawdust compared to a a plank. In verse 4 he says, how can you say, let me take that speck that itsy-bitsy little, that teeny-tiny speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. When I see something in your life that bothers me, I need to stop right there. I need to take a deep breath and I need to look carefully in the mirror of my own life. When I see something in you that causes me to think I need to respond in some way, Jesus says, stop. Stop. Right there. And look very, very carefully at your own life. What is it about what I see in you that bothers me? Does it speak and say something about my own life? about my sin, about the condition of my heart. When I feel that uh, self-righteous attitude building up in me, that attitude of, I know nine out of the ten commandments, here let me quote you some scripture, that kind of self-righteous attitude growing up inside of me, Jesus says, stop right there. And you spend some time looking in the mirror at your own life, looking very very, very carefully at what you see in your own life before you ever even think about approaching somebody else about their life. I heard about a husband who um, thought his wife was having a hearing problem. He'd say things from across the room and she wouldn't respond. And so he, he had a doctor friend and he said to his doctor friend, I think maybe my wife is going deaf. What should I do? He said, well, before we do anything, before we say anything to her, I want you to do a little test to sort of evaluate the deficiency of her hearing. He said, I want you to start way across the room, maybe 15 feet across the room, and and just say something at normal level. And if she doesn't respond, then go a little closer and say it again and see how close you have to get before she responds. So he goes home that night and his wife is working in the kitchen with her back to him and he stands across the room and he says, honey, what's for dinner? She doesn't respond, so he steps about five feet closer and repeats it. Honey, what's for dinner? No response, and so he moves even closer. Honey, what's for dinner? Finally, he gets up into where he's right beside her, and he says, Honey, what's for dinner? And she looks at him and says, For the fourth time, vegetable stew. (laughs) Athanasius said, You cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself true, isn't it? 
You cannot put straight in others what is work in yourself. Jesus says, you look very, very carefully at your own life before you even think about trying to remove that speck, that sin, in somebody else's life. And he says this in verse 5. You hypocrites. I'm sure they like hearing that, don't you think? You self-righteous, unwilling to look at your own life. You hypocrites. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Now notice he says first there. That indicates there's something else that's yet to come, right? There is another step to this whole process. But he says first, the first step, is you get that plank out of your own eye. You spend that time looking in the mirror of your own life. First, take the plank out of your own. And then you will see, what's that word? Say it again. Clearly. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Jesus says, after you have carefully, very carefully, very carefully examined your own life and you're confident that there's no plank in your own eye, then when you can see clearly with the right attitude, with the right perspective, with the right goal in mind, when you can see clearly, then Jesus says, you go ahead And you help remove that speck of dust, that sin, from their life. But do it carefully. Do it with the goal of restoring. Now, I think that Jesus' followers and even the early church, as we read about it in the book of Acts, struggled to fully understand and to implement what Jesus taught here about judging others in their lives and in their church. In fact, I want to look over there at what Paul writes to them in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 5. If you flip over in your Bibles just several books later after Matthew, if you get to 2 Corinthians, you've gone too far. It's after the book of Acts. In 1 Corinthians, chapter 5, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul, who's a leader in the early church, writes a letter to a local church, maybe somewhat like ours, addressing several issues, but amongst this letter, he addresses this issue of judging others. And they were, they were struggling to understand how to fully implement how this was supposed to work. And so listen to what he says there. In verse 1 he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. He, Paul says, congratulations, you are blazing a new trail when it comes to sexual immorality. You're ahead of people who don't even know Jesus. Way ahead of them. In fact, he says, a man has his father's wife. Not his natural-born mother, but probably a stepmother. And the, he means what it says here. He is intimate with his father's wife. I mean, that's, that's disgusting, right? Now, how do you think the church was reacting to that? Listen to verse 2. And you are proud. Paul says, you're, you're celebrating this. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this, Paul says, your hearts ought to be broken because of this sin. Now, you know what? Paul's not talking about a guy who who one time fell into temptation and and had a sin and it was over. 
No, Paul's talking about a guy here, based on the way he writes this, that this was a perpetual, ongoing situation. It was a long history of sin. And he says, it should break your heart. In fact, you should have put him out of your fellowship. You, you should have put him out of the church as long as he continues in this sin. Verse 3, for my part, even though I am not physically present, I, I'm not there with you, I am with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed, what's that word? Judgment. In the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing sin. Paul says, I have judged him. I have judged the sin in his life. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the sinful nature. Now, I don't have time to go in and explain that. He doesn't literally mean send him to hell. Okay? But he means if he's going to go the way of Satan, then for right now you let him go that way. So that, his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, understand what Paul's saying here. Paul says, I judge this man because he was in this trap of sin. But here's the goal. Here was the goal of my judging him. My goal was to restore him. Now, why did I judge him? Because he, he was important to your, this community of believers. I judged him because I love him. I care about him. And I judged him because I want to see his life restored. I want to see his relationship with God restored to where it ought to be. And as long as he continues in this ongoing sin in his life, he's just going farther and farther away from God. And so we, we've got to do something, he says to the church. We've got to, to make an attempt in his life, maybe even by pushing him away for a period of time, with the hope that he will be broken by his own sin, broken by his actions, and return to a right relationship with God. Now, who are we to judge then like this? Well, do you notice the man that Paul writes about here was in the church. This was someone who was a Christ follower. And Paul says that's who we're to judge. He goes on in verse 9 to say it this way. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. I think Paul was being a little bit sarcastic here. He wasn't saying, I don't want you to associate with people in our culture who are sinners. He doesn't mean that at all. He said, if that's what I was writing, you, just, you couldn't live here. No, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, verse 11, But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with any who claim to be fellow believers but are sexually immoral or greedy, idolaters, slanders, drunkards, or swindlers. With such persons do not even eat. Then he says in verse 12, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Here's what Paul teaches. Paul says that if I see one of you who is a Christ follower, who has decided to make Jesus the leader of their life, if I see one of you that is trapped in sin, 
who is living with someone that is not their marriage partner, who is cheating on their spouse, who is perpetually dishonest in business, who is allowing an addiction to control their life, and the list could go on, that I have a responsibility to do what I can to help you get out of the trap of that sin and to get back to a restored relationship with God. Now, he doesn't say that I'm to do that towards people who are outside of the church. But he says because we are a community of believers, of Christ followers, that I am to do that to those who are inside the church. So here's the bottom line on what Jesus teaches when you go back over to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, realize that if you judge, you are going to be judged also. But before you ever even think about judging someone else, you make sure, you make sure, you absolutely make sure that you have looked carefully into the mirror of your own life and that you have removed the sin from your life. And then once you have looked carefully into that mirror and carefully examined your own life, and when you can see clearly, then Jesus says, you go work at taking the speck out of your brother's eye. You go work at helping to remove the sin from someone else who is a fellow Christ follower with the goal of restoring their relationship to God. We, uh, when we started several weeks ago, I brought my Do Not Disturb sign. And I uh, remember we talked about uh, that uh, we hang this on the door of a hotel room and everybody knows to, to just leave us alone. And we said that uh, a lot of us have taken a do not disturb sign and we've hung it on the door of our life. And we, we've in essence at times said, even to God, just, just leave me alone. I, I like life the way it is, just, just leave me alone. So eight weeks ago, I, I challenged all of us to pray a very dangerous prayer. I, I challenged all of us to ask God to disturb our lives. And I would say for quite a few of us, God's answered His prayer, hasn't He? He has challenged us to look at what it looks like to follow Him in some different ways. And we've been challenged to think about, if I'm really going to follow Jesus, does my life look exactly like Jesus wants it to look like? As a follower of Jesus, does my life look different from the life of someone who isn't following Jesus? And I hope we have been disturbed. I hope we have been awakened to what it means to really, really follow Jesus. We started that day eight weeks ago when Jesus came to Peter and Andrew and invited them to be His followers. He said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Come, follow Me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed Him. Great news. Jesus is still offering that invitation today. 
to every man, woman, and child. He would say, come, come follow me. There are some of you in this room today. You've never accepted that invitation. I don't know why. I don't. Maybe you've got your own reasons. But I want to say to you today, in a very kind of figurative way, Jesus would look you right in the eyes. And He would say to you today, come on, come follow me. Why wouldn't you accept that invitation? Because part of that invitation is Jesus wants to say to you, I don't care how many mistakes you've made in the past. I don't care about how much sin you've accumulated. I am willing through my grace to forgive it all. I've already gone to the cross. I died and paid the penalty for your sin. It's taken care of. If you'll just accept my invitation, come on. Come follow me. It'll be a great adventure. And here's all you have to do to respond to that. You've got to believe you got to believe that Jesus is who He said He is, that He is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for you. You've got to admit this morning that there is sin in your life. Sin that you, you can't get rid of yourself. You've got to acknowledge that you need His grace and His forgiveness. And then you've got to invite Him to be the leader of your life. And then every person that we see in the Bible who ever did that they wrap that whole process up by being baptized into Christ, by being immersed into water as a way to publicly declare, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And guess what? There's no reason not to do that today because we have made everything possible from you acknowledging and accepting, maybe right where you're seated, seated right now, seated right now, to completing the process of being baptized right here as we wrap up our service in just a few moments. If you've never been baptized, this, this is the day to do it, guys. And you're thinking, well, I didn't come prepared. We did. Right down here on the front row are some towels and shorts and T-shirts. You can, when we dismiss here in a moment, you can go change your clothes and join us right out there and forever have your life changed because today you decided to follow Jesus. We've also talked a lot about what uh, Jesus said to those guys when He invited them to follow. He said, I need you to drop your nets. And I think that represented that there's always some stuff in our lives when we get ready to follow Jesus that we've got we've to drop and leave behind. And I'm guessing along the way that uh, as we've been carrying those nets around and you got some new ones today if you don't have yours, that God's reminded you of one or two, or in my situation, I think you said there's several nets, Jeff, that you need to drop. And I want us to invite you this morning to have an opportunity to figuratively, literally, Drop those nets in the presence of God. That's why we gave you another one this morning. So in just a moment, as Kim sings, I want to invite us all to get up out of our seats and to come and to drop those nets in these trash cans at the front as a way of saying to God, God, I really I want to follow you completely. I want my life to look exactly like you want it to look. And while all that activity is going on, if you're somebody who's here this morning thinking, I, I want to follow Jesus for the first time, then myself and Brad, we're going to be in the, the corners of the room here while everybody else is moving around and won't be embarrassing in any way. Just come talk to us. We'll pray with you. We'll help you to take that first step to follow Jesus. All right, you ready? Let's drop our nets. Let's really follow.